Are you excited yet about the new series? I'll just say yes to shut you up, Adrian. Um, People of the future, it's a journey through Thessalonians. I'm really excited. Uh, I'm really expecting this. I've got to be honest with you. I have known that we're going to be in Thessalonians for months. And for months, I was like, God, ready? And you think I'm super, super prepared for this morning. I'm not. I'll just preface that now. It's not like I'm super crafted. But it's one of those things that I knew that there, there was, God is good. And, and I was reading through Thessalonians, and as I was reading through it, I, God just went, this is your next step. And I was like, okay, but when? And as you know, we've had all sorts of different things, and there's been an expansion on, on that of Pentecost and an expansion on that of East and all sorts of things. I'm like, Lord, now, now, now? And he said, Adrian, now. And I'm like, yes, come on. So we're going to be diving into Thessalonians. Now, if you have not yet read Thessalonians, there's two letters, one Thessalonians, two Thessalonians. They're really short. They're really easy to read. I'm going to give you homework. You didn't think you were going to come for homework to this one at the church, did you? You listening? You're going to write it down? You're going to pay, pay attention? You're just going to remember? Your homework. <laughs> I'll just remember. Or I'll forget it and ignore you. Anyway, your homework is to read Thessalonians. Just one Thessalonians as a whole this week. Now, I'll be honest with you. As a, as a potentially slow reader, it might take you 25, 30 minutes at a push. But I want you to read it in one. Take tonight or tomorrow morning before you wake up or before you go to sleep before you wake up before you go to work wake up but before you go to sleep after you wake up before you get on with your day thank you very much for that take that 20 to 30 minutes and read it in its entirety read it as a letter because it's a letter if I sent you a letter in the mail you wouldn't say hello how are you I'll put that back and I'll read it later oh now that I've got your attention I'll put it no you'd read the letter so read it as a letter But then, you're not done. Homework part one, read the whole letter. But then over the next few days, five chapters in 1 Thessalonians. Read a chapter a day. A little bit slower. Let it sink in. Pray into what you're reading. What is God saying through it? Now, if you're a person that likes titles, today's title is a matter of perspective. And we're going to literally today going to do a bit of a, I'm going to do a bit of a summary of Thessalonians, a bit of background of what we're getting into, of of why this letter was written, who it was written to, the context in which it's written. So there's going to be a little bit more, perhaps, teaching today than normal. Some of you guys are like, yes, I love it. Others of you guys are like, no. Do I have to take notes? No, there is no exam. But if you want to take notes, by all means, do. I'm not going to read all of 1 Thessalonians today. You might be really excited to hear, because if you know me well enough, you're like, I don't care how long it is, we'll read it. I'm stopping today. There is, (laughs) don't worry. Um, But I'm going to give a bit of a a thematic overview of what we're going to be unpacking and looking at over the next few weeks. And and I say a few weeks because I'll be open and honest with you. I don't know if this is going to be four weeks, six weeks, 10 weeks, 20 weeks. I don't know. Because wherever God takes us, we're going to go. And this is all scripture. You could almost go line by line, but there is so much in Thessalonians. So with that, I'm going to turn to the reading for this morning. Um, if you are uh, a person that has a physical Bible, open it up to 1 Thessalonians. If you want to turn on your Bible, you can. And if you want to be really, really lazy like I would be, it'll be on screen, so it's fine. <laughs> but 1 Thessalonians, I want to read all of 1 Thessalonians 1. And I'm going to read the final few verses of all of it in 5, 25 through 28. And it says this. Paul Silas and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. 
We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so, let me get back to it, sorry. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And then at the very end, it says, greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of your Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. I mean, you might be thinking, that's just an intro. <laughs> he's, just, he's just done a little intro of, of Paul. Paul just said, hey guys, how you doing? I'm just what? But we're going to dive into the, the context in which Paul writes. We need the backstory. So here we go, the backstory. Now, for those of you history buffs and like knowing what happens when this is written, this letter is written in kind of the middle of the first century. Now, it's written by Paul, who we know was once Saul. He was actually a persecutor of uh, Christians. He was kind of the Jew among Jews. But then he goes by his Christian name of Paul. And, and as far as we can tell, this is probably the first letter he wrote. This is one of the oldest manuscripts that we have. Now, for those of you who maybe thought, hey, the New Testament is in chronological order, it's not. It's not just to pick up a book and read it in that order. And, and so if we're looking at actually oldest documents, we can see that this is one of the oldest ones, that it goes for a while. Now, the thing is that Paul, at this moment, and we read in Acts 17, you can see the story of Paul and how he goes out and he starts uh, evangelizing. He starts sharing the gospel. Now, what does gospel mean? Thank you. I was going to say, this is not a trick question. Please, someone have the answer. I was about to question every bit of teaching and everything I've ever done. Gospel is good news. But the thing is, we think of it now as a Christian word. The gospel, when we talk about it, is Christian. In the time that Paul is walking around, the gospel was simply just good news. And so actually in his time, we were not, he was not the only one preaching gospel. Actually, the word was often used by the Romans. That whenever there was a big announcement, something to do with Caesar and all that he had done, all this, whatever it may be, you may have heard of the term Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Whenever there was this big announcement, they would send people, messengers from the emperors of Rome, from the Caesar, and go to go and give good news. And what Paul was doing, and this is what's amazing, what Paul was doing is he's going and giving a good news that is contrary to the good news 
of the Romans because the Romans would come and preach that the good news is, guess what? Your emperor, your lord, Caesar, has defeated the enemies. You are good. There is peace in Rome. And that was the good news that was being preached and shared. And here comes Paul walking around going, for the record, the good news is that Caesar isn't your lord. Your lord is Jesus who took the cross for you, who died. Now, you might be thinking, why are we in Thessalonians? Well, it's one of those kind of natural progressions, I feel, in what God has been doing in us. And through this season, because actually this letter is to a new church. Now, we're not a new church in terms of the history of GBC. We've been here longer than most of us have ever, I mean, probably combine our ages and we might get close. It's been around for a while. You may have been in the church for a while. You may have been a Christian for a while. So you may not be a new Christian. But in terms of what God is doing, the new thing that he's doing in us and through us, there's something fresh and exciting. So Paul is walking around preaching this gospel And again, in Acts 17, we can see the full story of how kind of Paul goes out and he gets this vision to go to to come to Macedonia. And then before he goes there, he goes to Philippi first and then Thessalonica. And he's actually run out of town (laughs) because the good news that he's preaching is good news to you and me. And it's good news to those who came to follow. But it's against that of the Romans. So he actually gets pushed out of town the Romans kind of climbed down on him and he ends up having to flee from the area. And when he leaves, you know, like a good, good evangelist, good pastor, he's like, I'm, I'm worried for him. Like we preached the good news that they came to, are they, do they still believe? Are they still living the life? Are they, are they still going after Jesus? And you know how I know, and you might not recognize this, but every pastor that you've ever had still thinks about you, still prays for you. And, and some of you will recognize that that previous pastors from this church come and visit And they're like, so how's the church doing? How are you doing? And if you get in touch with the pastors that maybe led you to faith, you can ask them and they'll ask about you, about your walk in faith. They'll, They'll ask about the church that you've been in. As pastors, we care about where we've been called and we care about what God's done in those places, even when we're not there. And so Paul is like, how's it going with the Thessalonians? But he can't go back because it's too dangerous for him. So he's like, right, I know. I'll send one of my guys I'll send one of my guys. And he goes, and as far as we know, 50 AD, not even two decades after that of the death of Jesus, he gets report back that the church is doing really well. That they're amazingly there, they're on fire, they're following Jesus. And this letter isn't necessarily just a theological letter. Like, yes, there is some theology, but other letters of Paul's like Romans, if you want a theological letter <laughs> written by Paul, you go to Romans, you pick up on his theology, on his belief, on his understanding of God. This letter is not so much that. It is very much a letter of encouragement. It's a letter of reminder. It's a letter of saying, hey, you're doing awesome, but there's a bit more for us to do. Now, I don't know about you, but I can relate to that. Because of praise God, I'm like, I think, I think we're doing all right as a church. I think God's doing some stuff in us. I'm like, woohoo, but I know we're not the finished product. I know we're not there yet. So I'm like, God, what else is there? Come on, God, what else is there? Just me? Just me. Okay, that's fine. Okay. Woo. Man. But it's a letter of encouragement. And so over this series, I'm hoping and praying that you're going to be encouraged. But I'm also hoping and praying that you're going to be challenged. You know that Paul in this letter about a dozen times says how great the church is doing. Five, five chapters, short. About 12 times he says, hey guys, you're doing awesome. 
In fact, they're doing so well that we read in verse 7, and so you became a model to all the believers. Now, you may have noticed we have a new banner. Yay, thank you, some excitement. And so you became a model to all the believers. Now, let that just sink in for just a quick second. It's a new church, the Thessalonian church. But God is doing so much in them and through them that they're becoming a model to other believers, that other believers are looking at them and going, wow, look at what God's doing there. How amazing is that? Wow. Now, I I, I need to really preface this, right? Please, Please... Hear what I'm about to say, not with delusions of grandeur, not with any obsession of, hey, this is what we have to achieve. But can you just imagine if other believers looked to you, if other believers looked to us as a church and went, wow, what a model of loving God, of following God. Wow. Amen. What are they? What is God doing there? How are they? What are they doing? We want some of that. Don't get it twisted. It's not about us being elevated above that of God at all. But that we could become a model of how to elevate God above everything else. How amazing would it be if others look to you and say, man, the way you love Jesus, I want to love Jesus like that. (laughs) The way you love people, I want to love people like that. The the way you pray, the the intimate relationship that you have with God, I I want that. And and we don't pray that or desire that so that we could walk around going, well, you know, it's me we're talking about after all. Would you expect anything else? I mean, of course I'm going to. No. We do it out of our recognition, out of our place of, hey, I know who God is and I know who I am. And man, without him, I can't do anything. Without him, I can't even breathe properly because, oh my gosh, he put the breath in my lungs. Some of you are thinking, oh man, he's going deep and he hasn't even started sermon points yet. Like, what is this? I thought this was an encouragement. I'm feeling challenged. I'm feeling... He writes this letter. Paul writes this letter to the Thessalonians. And imagine having that read out loud. The letters would have been read out loud. And what, imagine being this new little church sat there, not, not even 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, not even 20 years after the ascension, being sat there. And the message from Paul is, you are a model to other believers. I would have been like, whoop, what, I, pressure. I mean, thanks for the encouragement, but whoa. Unfortunately, we don't see this much in churches. We don't see other churches being looked at and elevated for how they're loving God. What we see is churches being brought down because of how they elevate themselves, because of the fact that they're not necessarily elevating God full stop. But the culture among churches, for some reason, we get competitive with one another. Oh, that church is doing pretty good, but okay, well, we got to change it because we got to do better. Oh, they got this many people coming? Well, you know what? We got this many. Let's, let's push for more people, new activities. It's not about that. How awesome would it be that we could look to one of our cluster churches or that we could look to St. Mary's and be like, man, the way, like what God is doing in St. Mary's, the way they are loving Jesus, the way they're loving community. Oh, we want some of that. 
How great would it be? So the theme in one respect for like all that we're doing in Thessalonians is that. Again, not out of a delusion of grandeur that we as GBC would be elevated look at the church to be. Like that is not what it's about. But that God would be working in us as individuals and as a people that they would go, wow. That's, that's what it means to follow Jesus. That what it means, that's what it means to elevate him, to glorify him. Are you up for that challenge? Are you up for that journey? Because if the answer is no, you're going to really struggle in this series. And I, I mean that with honesty and like just cards on the table. If you're like, no, I don't want people to see me and I don't want people to see how I worship and I don't want to, I don't want, then, then you're going to really struggle in this series. But if your answer is, yeah, I, I don't want it for me. It's not about me, but I want people to see God elevated and glorified. And yeah, God, that, that we would be, okay, whatever. I just want God at the center. God at the center. Whatever happens, happens. God at the center. Is it about him? Anyway, not even the first, that first actual point. I know, that's kind of the backstory bits. The Thessalonian church was such a healthy church that it became a model to all believers. Wow. Perhaps if you're a prayer, if you're a prayer, would you would pray with us that we would be a healthy church like that? The model then becomes glory to God, keeping your eyes on him. Uh, anyway, I said it was gonna be a bit of an overview, so I dwelled on a bit because it was important, but here we go. We then see today, I'm going to do a bit of a quick overview of Thessalonians. We've had a bit of a backstory of when it was written, why he wrote it. Again, one of the first writings of the New Testament that we have. And in chapter one, Paul really just kind of intros and, and thanks the church. And then he kind of goes on into a bit of almost an autobiography of his relationship with the church, if you will, and explains why he left later on. And then he does bring up some issues that, that need to be addressed. And this is what I love about it, that even in this letter of encouragement, you ever guys ever heard of the praise sandwich? I mean, he does it. He's like, let me praise you. How awesome you are. How kingdom focused. How God. But there's some stuff we got to work on. So here's my list. But then also, man, would you keep up? Right? He, he does it. And there's three issues. There's issues of sexuality because people were sleeping around. Right? The culture at the time was that it was actually okay to have a wife, to have a mistress, and to also go to the prostitutes at the temple. Like that was the, the culture. It was okay. It was accepted. Now, that might sound funny and weird to us because of the, the Christian culture and view of marriage that we have, but at that time, people that were coming to faith were like, hold on, I gotta, I gotta pick my wife over my mistress and the prostitute? What? But it's okay for me to do this. So there's issues there. There's issues in that place. There's some issue of laziness. Now, don't get me wrong. The Thessalonians were also hardworking people, but there's some that were being a bit lazy. And he addresses it almost to the point where there was, there was this kind of, kind of Greco-Roman welfare system set up, if you will. And they were almost taking advantage of the welfare system. And so there's going to be some talk about being lazy. And you might be sitting there going, I'm only lazy on a Monday. Can I just be lazy? No, he doesn't want it. We're not there yet, but it's going to be challenging for us. And then where the title, which I think also underpins everything that he says, uh, the title of our series, The People of the Future, he then talks about 
eschatology, the end times, and there's some confusion in the church of the Thessalonians of, of what's going on. Has Jesus already come? Have we missed it? Is he, is he not coming yet? Is it tomorrow? When is it? What's happening? I don't know. And so we're going to talk about some of that as well. So it's going to be a heavy series, but man, it's going to be exciting, right? Okay, just me. Fair enough. There's, there's one head nod. Everybody else is like, brace, brace. Oh, it's heavy, brace. But anyway, the theme of the letter, like I said, is, is, is I'm gonna, we're going to pick up on this throughout. But the actual theme of the letter, I believe, is, is right from the beginning. And it's that last point that I brought up. And we see that Paul writes, uh, framing the letter with a focus on the future. Verse 9, he says, um, They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Like right at the beginning, right at the beginning, he starts talking about the future. He frames it right from the welcoming, right? He's like, great, we're going to talk about how awesome you are. I'm going to talk about how God is doing stuff in you because you know and understand what is yet to come. Paul's, man, Paul was a clever guy in how he wrote. And so he frames this letter from the point of looking into the future. And we also have to recognize that the gospel message, right, the good news message that he brought was one that happened in the past, right? The death and resurrection of Jesus. That's the good news. But there's more good news that is happening now that God has poured out his Holy Spirit, that he's working in you and right now through you, changing you, converting you. But there's also good news that there's more yet to come. Thank you. It was a bit of a feeble one, but there's one. <laughs> but that is part... <laughs> But it was, part of the, it was part of the good news that he even shared. It's part of the gospel. And, and what we have to recognize is like some people will tell you that the turning point in history was the, 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 the scientific revolution, right? Or this revolution. The turning point in history, point blank, no questions asked, was the resurrection of Jesus. Like, that's it. The, the one point that changed everything for everyone, regardless of your background, regardless of who you are, regardless of your wealth or your race, your, the resurrection of Jesus. That's the turning point. But with the, rather, with the resurrection of Jesus, we see that there's more yet to come. The gospel is about what will also happen in the future. It's not just about what's happened. I mean, today we came around the table, we remember what Jesus did, but that's not the only part of the gospel. There's more. There's a reminder that there's a gospel, good news, that when he returns, that all pain and suffering will be dealt with. That when he returns, there will be no more rubbish that we deal with. There'll be no more wars. There'll be no more divisions Come on, how awesome is that? But see, the fact that we don't celebrate it with such joy is we don't have our eyes there. We have our eyes here in our rubbish. But he says from the beginning, you're known, you're wow, like again, the fact that you knew, you hold on to what's coming, the desire for it. And Jesus even himself said, the kingdom of God is at hand. So we know that the kingdom of God is being dealt with right now. The spirit is being poured, has been poured out. He's doing stuff now. We know that. We know that there's freedom now. We know that there's stuff in, for us right now. But we know that ultimately, the final, most amazing, where there will be no more uh, uh, trafficking, no more anything, like all the enslavement, everyone, like it's all being dealt with then. So the good news is 
greater than perhaps what we always share and hold on to. But then we see that people of the future are filled with the Holy Spirit and are in fact holy. I'm going to jump around a bit here in Thessalonians, but in chapter one, verse four through five, for we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. Like, whew, the gospel doesn't come just with me speaking it or you speaking it. It comes because we pray and the Spirit comes and does something. I've always said, People coming to faith is not my job. My job is to do what I'm told. God, by his spirit, will convict. You didn't come to faith because you heard an awesome sermon. You came to faith because God did something in you in that moment. And so also have trust and confidence that when you go and share the good news, it's not going to be down to you. It's going to be down to God. So guess what? You're an evangelist just like that. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, we move on. And then (laughs) chapter four, verse three says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should be made more like Jesus, that you should be cleansed and perfected, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Holy and honorable. Jesus came and lived the holy, perfect life. He's poured out his spirit that we could do the same, that we could be made holy that we could be made sanctified, right? So we see that the people of the future, people who focus on not just what God has done now, but people of the future, we are stepping into a time where we are filled with the Spirit and we're moving into becoming more holy. I've said it before, if you don't look more like Jesus now than you did when you first came to faith, something's wrong. And that's harsh, that's heavy, but that's true. Because if you look more like Jesus, guess what? You're more holy. You've done that by the power of the Spirit, not by your own strength. But we talk about holiness as this thing of like, oh yes, I'm very holy and they're not so holy over there and they're they're all right with the holiness. And uh, I don't know why it sounded British. In my head, that was just, sorry. (laughs) I just realized that a room full of British people with accents are gonna be like, religion! No, it could've been American. I can't even do the pompous in American anymore. I can't, usually the Americans are a little bit more like, oh, valley girl. Anyway, we move on. Different accents for different things in my head, obviously. I'm so sorry. Anyway, we are, as a people of the future, as a people of the future, we're filled with the Spirit, and we're holy. If we live in a, in a reality of what is yet to come, we live in the reality that God is making us holy. If we don't live in that truth, if we don't live in that, we only live in what we're in right now, we live in the fact of like, well, I can do whatever I want because, hey, God's grace is enough. And, and don't get me wrong, God's grace is enough. But if we don't live as a people of the future, we then live of, a, well, let me take advantage of this grace. What can I get away with? I mean, how, how, you know, nothing will separate me from the love of God. So can I just go and do whatever I want and come before? And there's this tension. Because actually, biblically, yes. If you come before Jesus, if you call him your Lord and Savior, if you bow down and say, man, I am so sorry, Jesus, for all that rubbish, then yeah, his grace is more than enough. So holiness is something we're scared of, but actually we should become more holy. And the thing is that we hear that word sexual immorality that we even read and we think of, oh, it's, it's that group of people. 
But let, let's be honest. Pornography is more easily accessible today and more accepted today than ever in history. I've heard people from within the church and outside of the church, oh, it's, it's just, it's, you can't help, it's who they are. Oh, it's just a phase. Oh, it's okay, they're just teenagers. Oh, it's just a rough patch. What? <laughs> you might be sat in this room actually struggling and battling pornography because it's one of those things we don't talk about. We don't talk about those addictions. <laughs> But actually, there's a, there's a call that in our holiness, is, our, our sexuality isn't even necessarily just with our partners, it's with ourselves. <sighs> Are we holy? Are we filled with the Spirit and holy? Are you accepting things in your life that aren't holy? Are there things in your life that you know aren't of God that you're just accepting because you're living in the now? And I'll just, I'll live through it now and I'll, I'll seek forgiveness tomorrow and it'll be fine. It'll be fine. And Jesus, t- tomorrow, Jesus. <laughs> but are there things that actually he's saying, no, no, as a people of the future, as a people who have been saved by grace, who know my love poured out, but you know what is also to come, actually, we need to deal with that now. We see that as a people of the future, living in the good news, not just of what Jesus has done already, but what he is doing in us now and what he will do, we are different, distinct. Dare I say, holy, when you live with that truth and reality of all of it. We then see that people of the future live in love and community. Chapter four, verse nine, now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. How awesome is that? You've been taught by God to love each other. He didn't even have to give teaching of how to love one another because they got it. How, how amazing is that? That like the love of community was just so, hey, it's natural. It's, well, I'm gonna love God and because I love him, I'm gonna love you. Wow, why is it so hard for us? Why do we complicate it? Do you love Jesus? Then you should love one another. Done. I mean, granted, there's some like, you know, difficulties because we're different personalities and we sound different, act different, whatever. But I love that again to this church, there's a deep and love, a deep love and a deep caring that they see and that Paul writes about. Like what an encouragement. What an encouragement to be that church and receive that letter to say, man, we can tell that you're an example for others of how to love God. We can tell that you're an example for others of how to love one another because you're doing it so well. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand for this, but but if we're going to be honest, how many times have we been hurt by churches? (laughs) How many times have we been hurt because we weren't loved right? How many times, and this one's more difficult, have we hurt others in church because we don't love them and we don't care deeply for them? It's harsh. It's difficult. But it's what we're called to do. And the thing is, don't get me wrong, like in a growing church, you're not going to be able to love everybody perfectly. 
You're not even going to be able to even know everybody perfectly sometimes. But are you loving those who God's placed around you? Are you in a small group and loving your small group? Are you loving your neighbors? Are you physical neighbors as well as metaphorical? Are you loving? And are others seeing that love? I mean, we, we, we read in scripture that others will know Jesus by the love that we have for one another. Thessalonians were a model. A model because of the love. There's so much more, but love was part of it. So I think Thessalonians is going to teach us that. I know, again, you're going to hear a lot of this repeated throughout the weeks, right? This is an overview. You guys are thinking, man, if this is overview, what the? We see that people of the future work hard. <laughs> I just got a smile of like, you're still going? Yes, I am. Come on. Y'all are stuck with me now. No, people of the future work hard. Verse three, right off the beginning, right? Like he, he literally does the intro. And then he says, we remember before our God and Father your work. How awesome must their work have been that like the first thing he intros with is like, hey, how are you doing? Hey, we remember you for your work. I mean, not, not for everything else. And the rest of the list, I mean, I would have preferred you remember me for the love I have for you, for how, no, no, you remember me for my work. So pretty impressive though. Right off the bat, we remember you before God for your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's like all in one. Your labor inspired by the love that you have and your hope because you're people of the future. You're not with me yet. It's fine. And in chapter 4, verse 10, he says, And in fact, you do love all God's family throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business. I love that. Can you imagine being told, hey, for the record, mind your own business. You can come up here and punch me. Who do you think you are, Adrian? Well, he says, mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may, be, may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Now you're like, well, hold on a second. Doesn't that stand in contradiction with like love one another and bear each other's burdens? And it's a beautiful tension that we hold that actually he's saying work. Give all that you've got for the kingdom. Give all that you've got for one another. Because also he talks about the labor because of love. So actually as a people, because he's writing to the, the whole church, not just one, but to the whole church he's writing. Actually, you worked so hard that as a, as a church, as a community, you weren't dependent on anybody else because you had each other. Acts 2 church, you sold everything. You threw it in somebody needed, you gave. Come on. It's like the first thing Paul talks about. Now, some of you said they're going, man, I'm, I work so hard, Adrian. I'm actually, I'm actually a workaholic. Okay, well, guess what? To you, he might be saying, stop being so workaholic about the non-God things. Put some of your time and attention to the God things. There's a line, right, between workaholism and working hard. But we're called to work hard. And again, there'll be more of this in future. But finally, for today, and there will be much more in the weeks to come, but we see that people of the future wait and hope for Jesus' return. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet um, and call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Chapter four, verse 16. He talks about the end times and, 
And as a people of the future, as a people of the future who love Jesus, we need to recognize and focus on the fact that there is more yet to come. The best is yet to come. And the thing is, our perspective sometimes gets so warped on focusing on the today that we forget what is yet to come. But you will have heard the illustration before from me or from others that if you were to grab all of eternity on a string, I mean, obviously we keep on going, but let's just pretend that it's from that window to that window. And that is all of eternity. Oh, it keeps on going. But your life, your life is not even a millimeter on that string. So are you going to focus your attention, your work, your love, your energy on that millimeter? Or are you going to focus it on what is yet to come? It's a matter of perspective. A people of the future are people who look at what Jesus has done. Look at what he's doing. but They don't stop there. They look at what is yet to come. And I'm expecting that this series is going to change us and rock us. And maybe it'll just be me. Maybe at the end of the series, I'm going to be like, Lord, thank you. Wow, that was so, man. I don't believe that it's going to be just me. I don't believe it's going to be just me. I guess the question is, where is God calling you to embody the future in your present? Where are you not focusing on things of the future? Where are you so stuck? Are you living in line with the present where maybe perhaps you should be focusing on the future with Jesus? Yeah, maybe there's a glimpse of the world made new in Jesus that you need to focus in on. There's a lot in there today. Ben's gonna come up. You're probably thinking, thank goodness he stopped talking. We're gonna spend some time in worship, and 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 I I don't I don't um I don't apologize. I guess for the length of today. Some of you are thinking, "Oh my gosh, I'm warm. I'm tired. Can I go home? The roast is in the oven." I don't make apologies. I used to. I used to make apologies for the length of stuff. But I honestly stand up here, <laughs> sharing what I believe God has got for us. And I say us because it's not just y'all; it's me as well. And I'm not Jesus, so my communication isn't going to be perfect like his. I'll have to say it multiple times, and I'm going to fumble, and I'm going to all sorts of stuff. But I genuinely believe that we need to spend some time on some of these things. And if you're not in a small group, can I, can I really push you and encourage you to get into a small group? And, and if you're like, those times don't work for me, then come talk to me. What times do work for you? Let's get another one going. I don't care if we have to have 25 small groups. I encourage you to read this scripture, to pray this scripture, to ask the question, Lord, what in my life right now do I need to start actually changing my perspective to? Be ready and prepared. Because if we don't walk into this place to worship God and to be changed and transformed, then what are we coming here for? A bit of tea, a bit of coffee, a bit of cake? Great, you're welcome for that, but we can do that some other time. We come to connect with one another, but most importantly, to hear from God, to let him do work in us. So I ask the question one more time, where is God calling you to embody the future in your present? Let's pray.